Hey there, I am back and today I'm going to be talking about some of the many things up to this point in which I completely failed at big and small. Um, This is a bit of an unorthodox topic because most people talk about their successes. We all show our highlight reels and so people can be impressed by us. And by the way, in case you hear beeping in the background, I am recording in the comfort of my own home. However, it's rush hour time, so I'm recording by my window and I can just hear the angry drivers honking at each other as they're trying to get home. If you do hear some honking in the background, I am sorry for that in advance. However, this uh, episode, I really do want to talk about it, and I'm in the headspace to be talking about my failures, which doesn't come so easily for me. It's not something I like to really talk about. I don't think anyone really likes to talk about it, to be very honest. I find value in bringing to light things that haven't necessarily worked for me, not because the thing itself was flawed. It was at the time, my own thinking getting in the way. It was self-sabotage. There could also be external factors, but the point of this episode is to not justify why things went wrong, but to take accountability for why it went wrong in the first place. So for any of you out there, that happened to be going for the thing that I eventually failed at. Hopefully, this might bring some solace in that there's more than one way of doing things, obviously. And even if two individuals did the exact same thing step by step, it could warrant a different result. Sometimes it really just comes down to mindset. And so in future episodes, we're going to be diving more into how mindset and unconscious programming, the inner chatter that we tell ourselves, can play a huge part in the outcome of our results. So let's dive right in with the first thing that I failed at. As early as I could remember, uh, this is back in high school, I sucked at math. Like, pre-calculus was my point, my stopping point on my educational math journey. Pre-calculus, I think I took pre-cal in junior year of high school. And that's when I just put my hands up. I was like, I'm done. No more. I studied. I took after-school tutoring sessions for pre-cal. And for the life of me, I just couldn't get it. And I barely passed in that class with like a C plus. I, I think I got the plus just because my teacher at the time like just pitied me. He gave me the plus for effort because I was one of those weird students where it's not that I didn't care about pre-cal. I just really sucked at it. I both cared about math and sucked at it at the same time which is a little bit ridiculous. My brain isn't inept. 
to do pre-cal, like bottom line. And I know that's a limiting belief that I tell myself. And I could at any time go back and learn. There's probably YouTube videos out there where I could deconstruct all of the concepts in pre-cal and spend an entire month just learning it like I'm five and starting from scratch. But I'm not going to do that because there are a lot of things and other projects in the work and pre-calculus, mastering pre-cal will probably not affect my life in any way from here on out. But I remembered at the time, the reason why I'm bringing up pre-calculus as my first failure, why it's important enough to mention it is because for some reason during high school, I just identified myself with the girl that sucks at math. And it was even harder because there was this stereotype that most people are probably aware of where it's like, oh, it's, it's a horrible stereotype where people naturally assume that I'm good at math because of my race, which is not the case, obviously. And so for some reason, I held on to that stereotype. I felt this pressure that people expected me to be really good at math but it just wasn't my strong suit. I was definitely that nerdy liberal arts kid, the one that joined art clubs, that went to AP art class and got my scholarships by submitting artworks instead, rather than competing in a calculus competition statewide. That that wasn't my identity. That never was, even though I tried desperately to hang on to it and do everything I can. But strangely enough, this is going off tangent. I was really good in chemistry. I took chemistry honors in high school and immediately fell in love with it. And I don't understand why I still use the left side of my brain like both subjects require the same similar skill sets in a way there are differences but it still i still had to use a logic side of my brain to kind of comprehend uh these subjects but for some reason i really tanked in one and then in chem honors i excelled so honestly to this day i don't really know why But that's to kickstart this whole failure episode. So that's the first thing I failed at. And then the second thing that I failed at that I can remember was huge. I guess it comes down to two parts. It was during my time in college. I always thought I was going to be this fashion designer in New York City. Ever since... I was in middle school. I wanted to become a fashion designer. The thought of building a collection and having it go down the runway was a big dream of mine. And to just design beautiful clothes. It didn't even matter if it was men's clothing or women's clothing, but that was what I wanted to do. And my dream school was St. Martin's in London, That was my one dream school. And then the second one was Parsons, the new school for design in New York. And when it came time to apply for colleges, I 
couldn't apply to the one in London because my parents didn't want me to move to a different country. They told me, if you need to move to the opposite side of this country, that's as far as you'll go, but you can't move out of the country. That's too far. And so that was a compromise. Um, I applied to Parsons and I did apply to a couple of other backup schools just in case I didn't get in. And my backup option was to go to medical school because that was what my parents wanted. But what I really wanted to do was go outside of California, go out of state and see the world because I grew up in a small town and I felt so sheltered. So I got in. I got into Parsons and I was so excited. Remembered being 17 years old, flying to New York for the first time. Like I, I felt like I got the golden ticket. My admission into life, into adulthood, it was the most exciting thing in the entire world. And I felt like my dreams have come true. When I got into Parsons, that slowly came crashing down, like death by a thousand cuts, for many reasons. But I think one of the many reasons why being that fashion designer, that's what I majored in. I majored in fashion design. I went through Parsons, I graduated, I did all that, but I, after I graduated, I wasn't even in the fashion industry for probably more than two years until I completely quit the industry entirely. I just got so fed up and sick of how toxic the industry could be and how fashion could sometimes be so cruel in a way and superficial without getting too much into what happened. It wasn't my scene. It was not my crowd. After many different internships and just trying to navigate the world, like from going into this sheltered life where all I knew was like, there's those cows and chickens down the street um, to big, good old New York City um, fashion industry. I didn't adjust very well, if at all, really. And I sunk into a pretty deep depression shortly afterwards getting in. And so those four years in Parsons wasn't an easy ride. I graduated. And to be honest, am I using my degree today, my fashion degree, to do what I'm doing now? No, not really. Not necessarily. But I will say... Something that something good that came out of Parsons was they really put emphasis on the professionalism of work and results. Whenever we created projects, it didn't matter if it was in foundations class, whether it was an art project or we had to build furniture and woodworking class or come up with a thesis. Everything was created under the guise of this is going to be a part of your portfolio when you apply for jobs. And that helped build my work ethic 
all the brands that I've created, it is all thanks to my time at Parsons beaten and molded into just working hard and being extremely discerning with my work quality. Um, That's not to say that uh, I make mistakes just like everybody else in terms of learning how to edit your own work. That's something that I pay close attention to. Sometimes it might be self-sabotaging where perfectionism might get in the way and it might prolong certain projects to be completed on time. But for the most part, I think there is more of a positive output than negative, despite my dreams of being this fashion designer, not having it come to fruition. I'd say that was, at the time, a pretty big failure for me. That was a huge low. It took a long time for me to make the jump to change industries entirely because that was a huge part of my identity um, in college. Going off of that, the second part to my time at Parsons was I failed at being the life of the party. And this was also this somehow, some way, somehow, I had it in my mind that I had to be the life of the party. I had to be this social creature, someone that could socialize with everybody in different types of settings. And that just wasn't me. I didn't appreciate my inner introvertedness until much later, recently, until up until probably like three, four years ago. I thought to myself, because I'm going to New York, I can just become this person that I thought that would appeal to other people and appeal to me even, which so wasn't true. I just attracted the wrong people. I get emotionally drained when I talk to too many people at once. The conversation doesn't even have to go in any sort of particular way. I tend to need my solitude. I need to recharge alone. And I crave my alone time just as much as I crave time with other people. And so it wasn't until recently that I really started to embrace that. But yes, being the life of the party was not something that I excelled at. Once I moved out of the fashion industry, I did the corporate nine to five and I did that for about three years. For two and a half years, two years to two and a half years in, I decided that I wanted to side hustle. But what happened was I was starting to get the entrepreneur itch. I've always wanted to start my own business, but this was when the itch really happened. I decided that I wanted to start a blog design business and I was going to host a webinar and run Facebook ads to get clients and create a course to teach people to DIY their own WordPress site so they can generate traffic to their blog. So it was for bloggers and influencers. And the reason why this failed, absolutely 100% my fault. It was 
of all the failures that I've t- shared with you so far, this is probably by far the stupidest. I was putting in overtime at work and I was one year in to grad school as well. So I had a full-time job working overtime, going to grad school at the same time um, because my corporate job had a tuition remission program. And so I got to get my master's degree uh, for free. So I took advantage of it. And I wanted to launch my own blog design business side hustle at the same time. What was I thinking? I had no freaking idea. I'm always this type of person where I think I could do it all. But sometimes I don't really look at what's on my plate until I'm too far in. And sometimes I still run into the same problem, but it's more manageable now. But back then it was over the top, insane. I was bonkers and I ran Facebook ads. I think I spent about $300 on this Facebook ad spent. I spent like four months putting together this whole program, this whole pilot program to get clients in to work with them and then use their testimonials and their feedback to then create this course. And I had a webinar to bring people in. And I was, I worked so hard on it. I created my Facebook ad campaign. I did everything myself. I spent four months on it and spent $300 on ad spend. I then had over 200 people sign up to this one live webinar that I, I never did hosted a live webinar ever at the time, but I, for some reason, I managed to get 200 signups. I f- got paralyzed. I freaked out. And on the day of the webinar, I didn't host it. I had 200 people sign up and I backed out of my own webinar that I created that I spent ads on $300 to get people into the webinar. Looking back now, flashing back to this humiliating, embarrassing moment that I'm now sharing with everybody else. And this happened many years ago. Uh, I think it was uh, probably five years ago. So that was the first time I really like bombed something, which is crazy insane because there was nothing actually wrong with what I, the business, like everything conceptually, there was a market for it. I had the design knowledge for it and people were willing to learn and show up, but I wasn't ready for it. I wasn't ready for the thing that I built and that really sucked. And that was a huge pill to swallow for me to really come into terms that that has happened. Because imagine if I did show up where things might be different. I'm happy with where I'm at now and with how life has progressed and things end up falling together where it should. However, at the time, it felt like I was just going through pure insanity. And so shortly after that, I did quit my job, my nine to five, and decided to focus on entrepreneurship completely. 
the last failure that I wanted to share with you guys, and this was the most recent one, it was my Amazon business. It's interesting that I bring my Amazon business up to a lot of other people. Amazon, my Amazon business to them was successful to my mentors, to my mastermind, to my competitors. It was successful when it started. But what people didn't really understand was what you see on the outside is different from what's actually happening behind the scenes. I was getting reviews. People were purchasing it. However, there was so much red tape and fees that Amazon, fulfillment by Amazon, just by joining as a seller, that they were taking away from profit profit margin that after taxes, after Amazon fees, you don't have much left and you have to purchase inventory and everything. And you have to do the whole refund rate, which is about 8%. You have to take all of that into account. And so for people that are interested in starting an Amazon business, if you're going to choose a product, it should have at least 50 to 60% profit margins right off the bat if you even want to consider selling on Amazon. If there's a product that can't go above 50-60%, you shouldn't even consider it because there's so much unforeseen costs involved that it's a freaking nightmare. What yeah, so basically what happened was I launched this Amazon brand. It was a dog brand. It was the first ever e-commerce brand I've ever launched. And within three months of launch, no experience whatsoever, um, I started generating 10K months by month three. And to me, that was insane. And this was probably six to eight months after I quit my corporate job, after I bombed that webinar by not showing up, I jumped into this. And this exploded in a good way. But just as fast as it exploded, it completely crashed because practically overnight, I had a lot of competitors. And this product that I was selling, I had a patent agreement where there was just the production company that was generating these, creating these products. Only this company could create it and sell it to me. Competitors that wanted to sell this product, if they knew how to source, there was just one production company making this product. So with two months in, after selling the product, my production company couldn't meet the demands of production because there were, I think when I launched, there was only maybe two other sellers on Amazon selling this product, maybe in different colors. And then two months in, After I started hitting 10K months, there were about 30 to 40 competitors on Amazon, all ordering from the same company that I did. And the defect rate went up, refunds rate went up, shipping delays, lead times, they all went up because the production company did not account for how fast it would explode and they just couldn't keep up with production and so the the quality of production went down too and it was an electronic product i went through all this red tape on amazon 
And I had to send Amazon so many laboratory like files and tests from the factory, from the production company to approve this product to be sold on Amazon. And despite all that, (laughs) my competition practically killed me overnight by dropping the market cost so low that even they weren't making a profit. So in the world of e-commerce, but there's a dirty trick that competitors play where let's say if your product uh, sells for um, $24.99 to generate a 30% profit margin. If your competitor then sells it, let's say at $18, they just cut the average profit margin. And there were days where I saw competitors pricing it for even lower, for like $10, $12 for weeks. They, at that point, they were losing their own money to drive you out. So it's more of like, let's just drain our uh, competitors' resources out while draining our own And short term, even though it drives out competitors, what happens is you train your customers to get used to that new price, even though you're not even generating profit, you're just losing money. Um, So now your your customers expect that your product is $12.99 when it really was $24.99. You devalue your own market, your own industry, by doing that, but this is a common dirty trick that a lot of Amazon sellers do to drive each other out, which is stupid, completely stupid, (laughs) but it's very commonplace. Yeah, that took off and burned very quickly because I hated the game, like, and I hated the red tape. So looking back now, Despite hating the red tape, I will have to say that I learned a lot of important lessons, probably the most out of this whole experience, because it was a warm up to then me starting Be Dewey. And I'm not saying that Be Dewey is perfect in terms of a brand and a company. I'm still learning as I'm going. However, if it wasn't for my Amazon brand, I probably wouldn't have the courage to build something like Be Dewey um, to where it is today. And so speaking of Be Dewey, transitioning from having a half-assed blog design business where I didn't show up to a webinar because I was too shy and paralyzed by my own fear, to having a Amazon business that took off and crashed simultaneously within the same couple of months to now transitioning into Be Dewey. Be Dewey is now going through a pivot where I want it to be more community-based. And so that's going through transition while I am getting the state of being podcasts and everything up and going. Although skincare was fun to get into, I think I want to dive in a little bit deeper on the whole cause, the whole reason why I even started this in the first place. And so I think it's going back to the roots, going back to the bees, and that requires going back to the drawing board. 
So that's going through this interesting transition, this interesting evolution. And I'm seeing the brand long term now, whereas that didn't really exist for me with my Amazon brand and with other ideas that I had. So I do feel pretty grateful to have the failures that I did. In hindsight, looking back now, it's all been this crazy, messy, beautiful, chaotic journey. One hell of a ride. And I wouldn't have it any other way. This is the next phase. This is the next evolution. I am just so happy to be in this place where, yes, there are new challenges, new obstacles to face, creative challenges though. However, each time I build a project or go through an iteration, I feel closer and closer to doing things that I feel that I deeply align with on a deep core level. Discovering myself almost failure through failure. It's it's in the failures that I go through that I get closer to myself in a way, which is interesting. Um, closer to knowing myself. I think it's important to shed light on what didn't work out because we can take that as lessons rather than beat ourselves up about it. And it's, I think we no longer should be in a state where we hide things and sweep our failures, our shortcomings under the rug. It's, I think it only manifests more insecurity and trying to mask and become something that we're not. Because at the end of the day, We're all going through very similar problems, so it makes more sense to me that we talk about them and just find solace in knowing that no one's perfect and we all have our own shortcomings. And there is a lot of other uplifting, happy accidents that might arise from our failures.